from the home offices of Ash and Flow. This is Unbillable Hours, a podcast about professional services marketing. Stick around and listen to our insights, tips, and best practices to improve your firm's marketing and even your career. And I say welcome to this new episode of the Unbillable Hours podcast. Um, which is a first. We're actually recording this as a live session. We have a few guests here. We'll see if there's going to be some questions and discussion maybe mm -hmm. in the chat. With us today is, so besides Ash and myself, is Luke Smeyers. Welcome, Luke. Uh, from The Visible Authority, those of you who have listened to previous episodes know we've had him on before and learned that Luke has quite a few interesting things to say and lots of stuff we talk about, but he says so from the practice leader slash consultant perspective. So we thought we'd, we'd bring this combination of views back to you. And so uh, this podcast episode, I think we'll explore trends and topics I mean, uh, uh, Flo, uh, let's just be honest. The, we basically you know, sold this as BizDev 2022. Yeah. And that is essentially that us is talking about like marketing and sales coming together. From, from, from the two angles and the two perspectives. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Thanks. So um, the way this will work is we have three sort of sections or three, three main points you want to hit. First one mm -hmm. is I'll, I'll ask Luke and then Ash, you and I will chime in to, to yep. explore a bit how the buying of services has changed maybe again, right, following the pandemic. So where is it, where is it now? How does it function today? Mm -hmm. Then we'll dive a little bit into what that means for business development and uh, like the consulting practice does it and the marketing the firms run. Mm -hmm. And then um, following that, we will discuss a little bit what does it mean for you in practice? Like what types of decisions should you be making? What types of systems should you be building inside your consulting practice or if you're on the marketing side within your, your marketing team to work the practice. Yeah, and, and Flo, just to add on, um, we have spoken about some of this before if you've listened to some of the uh, episodes, but this time we're just going to give a slightly different flavor and talk more about it so that you can ask us questions. And and Luke, we'll, we'll give the stage to you because mm -hmm. how service buying has changed is very near and dear to your heart, right? As a huge part of the rationale I don't know. Um, this is me putting what's in your mouth. Sorry for that. But it's, it seems to be an important driver of why you even founded your own firm, your own consulting firm in the first place, right? Yeah. So maybe you, you can walk us through some of the... Okay. After your things. official start or is it already... Oh, yeah. oh that, I already did the official all start. Right. So. <laughs> We've been recording this all, right. all the time. So Sorry you're good. for that. <laughs> no worries. Oh, I've now interrupted. Uh, <laughs> all good. All good. <laughs> Just keep going. Okay. Fine. Yeah, I know. So may maybe very, very short uh, from a background standpoint, I'm, I'm helping other consultants, so consulting consultants or consultancies. And I'm doing that actually. So, so you can look at consulting business development from what, I'm, what you might call the collective standpoint or the collective point of view, which is more at the brand or at the consultancy level. Or like I'm doing, looking at at the, um, the the expertise voice, so the collective voice versus the individual or the expert voice. So that's the more the terrain that uh, I'm working at. And what I'm doing actually is helping uh, consultants, uh, partners, uh, owners, um, individual consultants build a stronger reputational footprint so that they can organically grow their um, their consultant revenue yeah so it's all about creating uh, a reputation in the market so that or that uh, prospects and clients are coming to you which and okay we won't go there but which happened to me in my consultancy in the past so we never had to sell anything we always had organic uh, pipeline of prospects coming to us. And that was done through that very strong reputational footprint in the market. Yeah. So that, that is what I'm doing, helping those consultants, building that uh, reputational footprint. Now, uh, to keep a long story short, there is, uh, and there was uh, a lot going on already before Corona, but Corona kind of amplified, accelerated uh, some of those trends. And I would say, uh, and I've been writing a lot about that in the past months also, um, I'm, I'm currently also through research that, that you can find uh, in many 
places uh, about consulting and consultancy uh, business development. Um, there are actually four trends that, that you can spot uh, in all the markets and again, amplified uh, by, by yeah, the corona period, of course. So the first one is um, actually the, the complexity of topics is, uh, is increasing. And so, and also, like uh, Ash already said, so the volatility of these and the changes in all those um, hot topics uh, is also changing, and the speed uh, overall of all these topics um, is changing a lot. So it has really increased. Uh, just to name a few, it's like cybersecurity or supply, all the supply chain consultancies, they are doing extremely well. You have hybrid working. So I could maybe list, uh, and I've been listing uh, a few of those uh, in, in my, in my uh, posts in the past weeks. So I could maybe list 10 or 15 like hot topics uh, that are growing substantially and really changing also the, the way that consultancy is developed in the market now so that's first trend complexity that is increasing in uh, all, all almost all organizations so the second one is the buyer behavior i think yeah i think we've all been reading a lot about that um, so buyers are um, if you compare them with like 10 years ago, uh, today a buyer does 80-90% depending on the research that you're reading, but buyers are doing their homework, uh, their research 80-90% uh, before they get in touch with the consulting firm um, to, to get the support. So it's extremely important that you get, as I always say, included in the homework of the buyer who does the research to find a solution for the problem that they are faced with in the organization. So that's second thing. Third thing is that uh, apparently, and that is again also amplified by uh, by Corona is that the whole trust issue, of course, there is already since many years, the whole trust issue. That's also why Google changed algorithm many times already. There is a trust issue in general. So uh, with all the fake news and everything that's going on there, but mm -hmm. uh, apparently uh, uh, through research also uh, seen that trust in consultants is going down. So the trust um, objective, and so from a consultancy business development standpoint, building trust is becoming more important. And uh, it's something that uh, in business development activities need to, take, uh, need to be taken into account. Uh, and of course that leads into, and we'll come back to that later on, uh, sharing more uh, expertise so that people can start trusting the expertise. So third thing, uh, trust, and last but not least, of course, uh, um, we all know that there is a capability issue. At one hand, there is a complexity issue, the speed is going up, So, but also organizations are now confronted with, oh, wow, with all these complexities like cybersecurity, supply chain, we don't have the internal capability, we don't have the internal resources uh, to deal with all those complexity. Um, so let's look outside. Uh, now consultancies, of course, also getting into hiring troubles uh, because they get a lot of requests for those particular um, hotspots or hot uh, expertise domains. But there is an overall, um, let's say, shortness of uh, capability and expertise in your organization. So that's driving, uh, in general, uh, the way that we look at business development these days, um, Flo. I don't know if that's um, an answer to your first question. No, I think that's 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 quite stuff because um, the, the points you made here um, with the this is a disconnect we also see, right? The, the demand is still high. This is what you talk about when you say complexity answer. So it seems like consulting services are in high demand, but at the same time, since the game has changed in terms of how they, these services get bought, how the discovery is done, right? And the number you mentioned, we've been reading that for years. For yeah. years, like people want to find stuff online. They want to make buying decisions on their own time, all that stuff. I think your point is fair to say after COVID, it's finally here. It's It really has hit the consulting markets as well. And I, we still see firms who are, I mean, they're sort of, they've gotten it two years later, right? But some are still struggling, shifting to the to the digital. Yeah, so I you can see, and, yeah. I, and I, I won't go into all the details, but just as, a, as an example, so you can see firms that starts, that, that uh, started like 2019, 2020, even like in the middle of Corona, can grow into from zero to, uh, I've written a case study about it a few weeks ago, 
Uh, so from zero to 120 people and 40 million revenue in two years uh, because yeah. of their extreme reputational digital footprint. Yeah. They get the digital marketing aspect, right? Like yeah, on the basis of a strength consulting offering, I know which case you're referring to, but um, but so they have a differentiated point of view and a differentiated offering, but they also have this digital marketing game down. I, two specifics, I think, or three maybe, and as you can chime in, I, I've yeah. seen um, in terms of just the marketing. So... The social media stuff is really on the, a slight change in playbooks on the digital marketing side, right? This, this old lead gen game, like I put a white paper out, I collect an email address, I hit people with emails. Um, before it's a little that, bit on its way out, not sure. Um, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, I think even before that, what's essentially happening is there's a content explosion. Like when uh, Luke was talking about trust, there is content on every oh, yeah. front. That's true. We, yeah. We're kind of being overwhelmed with the amount of things that we need to consume in terms of it that we don't know what's the right channel as in as a consumer, as the mm. user, the professional services, you know, use and, and users. So, um, there's also the you know arrival of content free content because people are just putting like sound bites, you have podcasts, <laughs> content you have all... free content. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is exactly what you've been seeing, uh, Flo. So I'm just like you know reiterating that specific you know aspect. And and when you're touching on the lead gen thing, I, I just want to like reiterate. I think we spoke about it like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, marketing throws in a lot of leads. These are not necessarily good for sales. It's just like, hey, I need some leads for an event for or an email marketing campaign for something like that. They're not qualified. They are market qualified leads, but they're not qualified with intent. So yeah. essentially you just give all of this, the sales, say um, um, uh, biz dev and sales teams just basically look at it and like, all right, who should we focus on? Yeah. And essentially you get some really, really low conversion rates just because well, it's not effective and you kind of need to like focus on the intent and demand there so that they mm. can build the supply. I think we've been talking about the demand and supply thing quite. Yeah. Often, and I think so. that there's a, the pressure to, to produce quality stuff, right? I think we'll yeah. get to that, but later on, that's, that's just huge. So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll mark this, we get back to it, but two more things I see um, or have seen um, because of the buying gets more digital. And that's not just people browsing your website or learning about you. It's, it's even in the buying process, right? Instead of, you don't have actual meetings, you have Zoom meetings like this and so forth. What I've heard, especially from firms that sell to enterprise clients, is that the committees get bigger because mm -hmm. the cost to just for this meeting, like if it's a bunch of people here, add two more people into the decision-making process and have them look on as the consulting firm pitches, right? That costs nothing anymore, right? So I've heard that a lot, that the number of stakeholders, especially in the large deals going up, Right. That's a that's another consequence of this of buying becoming more digital. Uh, so that for marketing, that means you have to influence more people, just sort of putting it that way. And um, another thing, and I've just seen this, I put this in the show notes. I've just seen a study that was put out by the guys at Dream Data. They do um, this an attribution software tool. So they attribute revenue to marketing touches and they crunch their own numbers across their clients. And they figured that the average sales cycle for B2B high ticket items, so um, five, uh, six figure software deals or consulting is now around 191 days sales cycle time. And it has uh, on average, now that's a dangerous average because you know the tail ends vary, but uh, 31 marketing touches before it closes. The point there is, I think that's a huge change also in marketing. So stuff gets digital, there's more people involved and there's a lot of touch points. So you need to be able to sustain that and look, I mean, to the point where I see firms struggle in the digital world, if if you need 30 touches and your firm puts out one LinkedIn post every yeah, two weeks, work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. that's not going to be enough. So yeah. flight to quality, but the high frequency and the consistency, I think, is also is also yeah. something. And that's why it's helpful. That's at least what, what I've experienced when I'm working with consultancy firms is that you look at it from a double angle, which is the, the, the collective angle, which is the firm. It's, of course, also called the brand, but I don't yeah. like the, the word yeah. brand. So at the brand level, but it's also like the personal brand, which I 
uh, also don't like at all. So I call mm -hmm. it the collective voice and the individual or the expertise yeah. voice. And if you look at it from both angles, it's very helpful in, um, in tackling what you just described. So expertise is easier at the individual level to share yeah. uh, in a more sustainable, reliable, consistent way over a longer period. And it's also, uh, and it, there is not a lot, lot of research yet on that but it's also extremely powerful mm. when companies are looking at uh, solving their problems and they're starting doing the research and you have all those touch points and all those people involved is that you have an expert that you can put in the front line yeah like it happened to myself so and we we never had as i already said we never had to do any sales because yeah. we were contacted uh, because of the expertise that we have been sharing all the time consistently yeah and and just for people for context, I think Luke, you're referring to the time when you were working at Deloitte, leading a people analytics yeah, team right. or group, yeah. or whatever. And yeah. because due to Luke's history before that was he had a startup in this space, so he was a very visible expert on just people analytics, data driven HR functions, and so forth. And the, I think the point you're making is that often that can be the difference if you're in a competitive bidding situation. The team Absolutely. that has the most visible yeah, experts yeah. on them yeah. win because honestly, yeah. there's feature parity between the consulting services. Like to yeah. put, Absolutely, just to pick there's on feature parity. There yeah. is no difference anymore. I've been pitching against all the big four and even the management consultancies. Uh, yeah. And <clears throat> I've been winning many, many times because we were considered as the experts because when they looked at us, we had an abundance of expertise and uh, particularly focused on successful case studies uh, from re referenceable clients. Uh, you know that I'm using that word uh, more yeah. often. So we had a, a very strong referenceable client list and those typical studies, case studies were the driver of success. And yeah, that's... Mm. Can I just, for the benefit of people who, who haven't heard the previous episode, can I ask how many case studies you turned out in your time? Because you said that in the last podcast, but I think it's, yeah. it's worth saying again. Uh, was that, are you asking me? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, how many, yeah, you, yeah. Had a, you had a specific number of how many yeah, case yeah, studies yeah, you Almost 150. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just to make the point again of the many touches, the high frequency and so forth, yeah. you, you just have, your firm has to build some kind of content, sorry for the word, but content machine. Um, yeah, absolutely. Quality is important, mm -hmm. but I often find that the consulting firms I work with, they have the quality of thinking. That's that's yeah. there. They struggle yeah. to put it in front of people with a frequency that makes sense. And I don't I don't want to make that joke all the time, but there is many firms, if you scroll through the LinkedIn feeds, there's like two posts a month and no, to your point, Luke, no individuals posting. No, or, or just one or two. Not. Yeah, so a little bit at the at the collective yeah. level and nothing yeah. at all and, at the individual or. And that's that's level. not how it flies. And yeah. and maybe to round it out, um, Ash, sorry, yeah. you can follow me. But my last point to to wrap the section before we maybe pause for questions, uh, on that point, I think because I referenced LinkedIn a bunch of times, social media. We 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 mentioned the change of playbooks. It that's just the big gorilla now in terms of channels that's also a recent change right i think that's that's very much important and yes i have clients asking me oh it seems like it's now highly competitive or do people even enjoy linkedin anymore blah 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 yes there's more competition in those channels the social channels but they're still the best thing you can do my my perspective on right now like your linkedin feed as much as you might think it's competitive still not by far not as competitive as seo for the terms you're trying to hit, like digital transformation advisory in Germany or something like that. So it's still, for me, social media um, as the top of the funnel channel is, is where the game currently is one. That's not saying it's the only thing you can do. It's just saying that it's no longer optional. <laughs> I mean, oh. Flo, to add to that, I think you need to yeah. say that what you should use these channels is, as a tactical conversation space not yeah. to and build playbooks around it but also yeah, not as not just a megaphone yeah that's true yeah, yeah. and uh, also as we are talking about it it seems what's more and more relevant right now is essentially marketing and say biz dev coming together to do have a steel code for biz dev you know to make sure yeah. because there's so much going on there's a little bit of steer needed to make sure that you're effective in what you're trying to sell all right Go ahead. and um luke did you have one last point or should I just no no I, if maybe we can ask uh, the, the so so if anyone has questions has their own insights about stuff that has changed recently so to speak and by recently I say like the last um, for sale cycle I don't know the, the last two years maybe um, but that will be our overview um, you can either 
come on mic and ask the question or you can put it in the chat or whatever. We're, we're happy to hear from you. Mm -hmm. And if not, that is also okay. Awkward pause. I can ask a question. Hi guys, great hey, podcast, Kira. It's Kira here. Um, yeah, um, agree on LinkedIn flow and agree on uh, quality content, which is actually not cheap to produce either. Not all the audiences are on social media. Like if you work with manufacturers and stuff, Ooh. they are not necessarily mm -hmm. there. So the question is, around be that either influencer marketing or digital PR. I don't know what exactly that is, but how to tap into the right networks that have your potential audience for mm -hmm. consulting, not in a sales way. And so that uh, you could prioritize those either channels or networks because there are so many. And if yeah. you try to, to tackle those one by one is just not scalable and you get discouraged quite easily because like you tried five different spent a lot of time mm. nothing worked yeah, yeah, yeah. These I are get not the right lot. ones yeah. you haven't done the research so that's where I get like totally lost but I love that question uh, Luke do you want to yeah I can maybe say something about okay. how I I went about that in the past and so Kira you're saying it's not scalable um when when I'm working with consultancies and what happened, uh, of course, and I, I will give the example of my, my own consultancy um, and, and then as a division within Deloitte because we got acquired, is that if, if you really dive deep, you don't have to scale that much. Um, like in our case, we had like 200 target clients and that was it. So that was, I'm talking Benelux now. And so we, we were in contact with all of them. Um, we had a almost, of course, I had, they were following me because I was the one sharing all the case studies and uh, the, the experiences from the front line uh, through my LinkedIn account. But at the same time, all those case studies and all our experience, every time when we had new trends, new thing going on, a new case study, that was nurtured through them, through our email list. And um, I always um, um, make a lot of fun of this, but I didn't even have an email system within Deloitte. Um, so I used my own uh, Outlook account and I had my 200 target clients in my list. So, and I was sending out my nurture stuff and I did that twice a month, more or less. And so it was like below the radar, but I was the, the connection with my targets or with my ICP as they call it in marketing. So you, your uh, yes, ideal you. clients <laughs> um, was extremely strong. So I kept nurturing them. And every time when I send out a new case study, they, I was contacted by two, three, four, five, and that was fantastic from a scaling standpoint. I didn't need that much. And when I'm working with other consultancies and I work with those practice leaders or the experts in, in a larger practice and, and I dive into detail, they're also telling me, yeah, I have like 35 uh, target clients in my country or in my industry and that's all. And so I, personally, I'm not like, oh my God, you need to scale and scale. So there's a lot of debate on yeah. scaling. Of course, if you look at it from an Accenture like Ash, from a global standpoint or European standpoint, uh, then uh, that you, you might get nervous. But if you look at it from a business development, from the field, from the front line, um, it's not always that difficult to scale. And, and I think, Kira, you also asked about the, the, the appropriate channels, right? Um, and, and I can add to that. So, Luke, I think you mentioned yeah. you mentioned a sort of direct outreach through email, which that's nice. That's fine. And it, I think it still works very well, especially if you have a well, I'm a big fan market. of email. Yeah, yeah, you I, know. I know that. <laughs> um, but just on your the comment you made there, Kira, regarding to LinkedIn, um, it might be true that your the decision makers and your prospects are not on it, but in my experiences, chances are very high that the stakeholders, many stakeholders inside their company are. So I wouldn't underestimate the effect of, to make an example, me seeing something on LinkedIn and just forwarding it or copying, lifting it into an email, shooting it to Ash if it's interesting enough. So the the first, the hard part is to have something interesting to say that's relevant to your clients. That, that's the hard part. And then in terms of the channels, I would almost say 
try one or two until you get it working. And if the production process is, I create stuff on LinkedIn to see if it gets liked, shared, seen by people who, even though they're not the right decision makers, they are in the industry. So now I have feedback that apparently it seems to be resonating in the industry. You mentioned construction, right? And then once you have that going, you could you could start taking the content. Look, I don't know what your production process is, but you could do sort of LinkedIn first and then see what you can salvage from the production process there and maybe use it in an email or something like that. And since you mentioned PR and I used to, that used to be one of my hats I had uh, in consulting land, um, used to be you build a story and then you pitch it to media outlets, right? You, you run 80 pitches, you get nothing, then eventually one comes back. I recommend the complete opposite. I said, don't, don't write the pitch to journalists, write the content on LinkedIn see which one resonates and then pick that or other effect, which a client of mine just had two, three months in, if you have interesting stuff to say, the reporter might find you because they're also scouring the LinkedIn feeds and they are looking for content. And it might be like, if you produce social first, you have an interesting body of work to repurpose, which is different from building a huge PR pitch, right? Sending it to a hundred outlets, doesn't get pickup, so all the work was in worse for nothing, right? Yeah, um, so I of course also, you could find a twist on that, yeah. um, but but that's the idea, I think. Kira, I also don't agree that um, <clears throat> those so-called executives are not on LinkedIn um, because they are, but they're probably not yet following you or maybe not aware of whatever. But when the moment comes that somebody is doing research um, and you have nothing there except for here's a picture of the weekend in the forest with the team, um, then I think you are like in number place number two against the other one who's sharing content, um, who's, who is an educational focus uh, person, expert at the expert level. Um, and so you will lose against the, uh, the, the expert sharing uh, savvy uh, consultant um, if, if you don't. So if they, if they don't find anything meaningful and, and I would say that they can trust because it's all about building the trust um, in, uh, in your expertise to solve the prototypical problem of the, cons of the client, then of course you are uh, far from getting the deal. And uh, I just want to add that back when I was running an ad, ad firm, one of the things that I used to focus on was word of mouth adjacency. There's always a channel, yeah. whether it be social, whether it be a community, whether it be Reddit, whatever. There's the word of mouth adjacency because these are the people, they may not be the C-suite executives, but they are the whisperers. And I used to target them um, with bite-sized kind of information that they can literally like start talking. Essentially, the whole thing I was trying to do then was just build word of mouth. Um, it was effective primarily because we had to identify these people and the community to build that up. And so it can exist on LinkedIn. It may not exist on LinkedIn. We can't really guarantee that because it depends on sectors. But sometimes these people are on Facebook, for instance. Sometimes these people are at a convention. And that those adjacent people are the ones that I targeted rather than the direct C-suite. Yeah, so know, it's not an either or. It's yeah. an and. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, did we help at all, Kira? Because yeah. I think... Uh, yeah, that's helpful. Um, A, because of the focus. And yeah. And Facebook, I agree, because I am actually working on both content strategy, something meaningful, mm. and social media, because in my, in my uh, area, YouTube, I will be last, more or less. It's hard to compete, although yeah. that works for the competition, but uh, LinkedIn and Facebook should be relatively easy to conquer. Um, and, and that focus helps, and then definitely yeah. SEO, so that will be my focused focus, I guess, and then I'll see what's next. Yeah, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna use this as a as a segue here into your next sections because we're watching the time, uh, Luke and Ash. Maybe we can fold the next two points together yeah. and just talk about what what needs to be what it means and what needs to be done. Because I think Kira, the, you touched on a point which is essential because of those changes in the market, because of it's becoming more digital, more complex. Some of the channels we mentioned are more crowded. I think the essential part, and we referenced this, and, and Luke, I want you to talk about this, is that going forward, you will not have a chance if you cannot 
have a very clear focus on a specific segment. Luke, you mentioned you just had 200 clients as your market, so to speak, right? Um, so can, can you talk a little bit about that, about the, how, how the hard part, I guess, is figuring out the focus, the positioning, and the what do you say? And then, yeah, to Kira's point, the channels can still be tricky, but it's usually gets much easier once you have that first part done, right? The, the focusing dialed in. Yeah, so the whole focus thing, of course, maybe stepping back. Um, it's uh, when I talk about business development, I always say business development is rooted in educating your target audience. And the, the education, of course, is about the problem resolution that the expertise is all about. So you share, you educate your target audience about the prototypical, about solving the prototypical problems that they are faced with in a day-to-day -day setting in their organization but you of course if you're like spread too thin and you're like i don't know like consultancies calling themselves end-to-end -end or uh, like a one-stop uh, service whatever shop uh, then of course it's extremely difficult uh, to be that educating, uh, educating expert. So that's of course why focus is extremely important, um, and that is uh, the the starting point of everything I do when I start working with a consultant or a consultancy firm. The first thing that uh, of course I'm trying to understand is how focused they are, uh, so that uh, in the second phase they can start educating the target audience about the expertise and building the trust of course in the market and the reputational footprint so the the focus uh, is then about and of course you can have a consultancy firm with several focus domains but each domain needs to be focused and needs to be linked to an expert and needs to be linked to a process needs to be linked to leading thoughts and a point of view about that particular expertise domain so it's not like you need to throw away everything that is already in the consultancy. That's impossible. But you, the, the streams or the practices of expertise need to be defined in the best possible way. And that's, of course, through uh, positioning and positioning uh, exercise where you define who is the target audience, what is the prototypical problem of such a target audience, and what is exactly the expertise that we have that can be linked to the problem resolution of that target audience. So, and if you don't do that, uh, then of course you're like, that, then what I'm seeing and, and you know, Flo, I've been writing about this a lot. So you get more into a service firm where you are output focused instead yeah. of being an expertise firm. So the starting point should be the expertise and the outcomes that you can deliver instead of a service firm that does activities and delivers output, yeah. mostly at a lower level, lower value level, lower, tar uh, lower rate level versus the, the expert firm, well-positioned, well-defined and more outcome-driven, which is very different from a language standpoint. Um, uh, so problem resolution, outcome-driven language is different than the output or activity language. So that is a very, very big first uh, change or starting point for uh, a consultancy firm. Yeah. And um, just to, because we, we had the second section was supposed to be what has to change. So nailing that focus on a segment and identifying the, the problem, right? And then getting clarity, I think, look, what you said is what is the outcome we deliver? If that's yeah. our target audience has this problem, what is then the outcome we deliver? As opposed to, oh, we do this and that yeah. and this type well, of consultancies, work. Right? All, those, all those consultancies saying, <clears throat> here is what we do. And what I'm always trying to get them to is to say, here is what we can achieve or yeah in a client-centered language that they say, here is what you, so the client, can achieve. And that, that is a different mindset from servicing to here's what can be achieved. Yeah. Good. And I think, um, sorry, I, should, I think if, if people were to visit your website, Luke, because I know like your website starts with, oh, consultancies often have this, 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 this problem. I yeah. think that's prototypical for, for the approaches. You got to talk about the client problems first, and then you have, a, of course, you have to have a strong point of view and interesting answers to how do we solve that then? Yeah. That's where it starts. Sorry, so Ash. it's always the same thing. And so uh, yeah. don't, let's not go into the website discussions because well, no, don't uh, let's say 99% of consultancy websites are, excuse me, crap. 
Um, but what, what you do is that you are immediately clear about who's your target audience, what is the problem that they hmm. typically faced with, and what is the problem resolution that you are that that you are delivering to them, or you yeah. can deliver to them. And then, of course, you have immediately your point of view, so setting the context, and then you have all immediately referenceable case studies or um, testimonials, and then, of course, at the bottom you have your. Um, your content or your leading thoughts about that problem resolution, not like any kind of uh, content stuff, but about, so again, the educational component, uh, teaching the target client about the problem resolution that they can, but also things like um, what is the cost of inability, uh, what's the process that you have to go or can go through and so on. So but all of it is audience, audience pain, audience problem resolution linked. And that's visible on the homepage, must be visible on the homepage immediately, bang. Yeah, no, fully agree with that. Look, we need precision marketing. And in order to get that kind of precision marketing, the marketers themselves need to move to a different kind of role to give the right kind of advice, more of a business partner role. Mm -hmm. Sales eventually, I mean, sales is ultimately king because that's what's primarily driving revenue. Yeah. Marketing is supposed to be like the axle grease that kind of helps uh, sales drive that revenue. So if there's no laser focus in that, and if you don't focus on like, like service delivery or you know and build that those right capabilities to make sure that you you know market yeah. everything effectively yeah it, I mean, it's just yeah. going to be a lot of noise and mm -hmm. that's why i think you know we need to start with um stakeholder management i think i always talk about that but Flo, you can or luke you guys can talk more this time yeah no but i think uh, you, you're making the point about like, like luke i think bringing this back to our agenda, right? What, what yeah. does it mean for business development? So I think, look, what you're saying is you got to dial in the focus and you got to really understand the pain points and you got to speak to those. And then Ash, I think what, what we were going to say for the marketing function is the marketing function, if you're in a larger firm, if you have a team that works with a practice, you should push to get to a place where you can help the business do that, right? You have to, you should be able mm -hmm. internally to take an advisory role challenge the guys in the business to nail it down i bring any expertise you have ultimately they have to make the decision because let's let's face it yeah. you are not the owner yeah. of the consulting firm you don't run it so th these are business decisions they have to make them but i think marketing and firms that needs to change they have to be much better at helping with this type of work and saying that's not the focus isn't narrow enough it's not clear enough we're not talking mm -hmm. to the pain points yet like these types of things working in, on the inside towards to your point about the website right look making sure the business makes the decisions that and result in a better website because honestly that's where it starts like marketing can do copywriting and design forever it will never be a good website if those details Luke, Luke talked about aren't done. Yeah. And I think to your point with the channels, um, Kira, you, you'll never get a LinkedIn strategy to work. That's just the same. Like there's tons of firms who, who do post quite frequently, like lots of them. Um, oh no, it's not too many, but there are, they exist. Sorry, it's that way. Uh, but it's not working because they have the same issue. They haven't dialed in the focus. They're not talking to the client pain points. They just have a post, a whatever post up every day. Well, yeah, and because they are not into this sharing the problem resolution linked to their expertise and their target audience, because that's not clear, then yeah. what they start doing, because of course they, they have like, I need to be uh, on LinkedIn. And so they start sharing stuff. They either share stuff from others uh, or maybe our business review article or they share like uh, the event from the past weekend so i call that activity sharing uh, and maybe have the hiring in between so we have a vacancy here and there and so that's activity driven and what they need to learn is to switch that to business development driven and that's a very different approach so that's all about this yeah the educational component of business development and that's what's mm -hmm. missing in uh, all those consultancies and that's exactly why you need to have your narrative down <clears throat> yeah. right from the beginning and that's where yeah. you know managing you know different groups within the firm to build this cohesive narrative comes first and then all the activities are messaging driven which is fine it needs to be a click down focus on that but if it doesn't have that tree narrative you're, you're just putting noise in the market yeah 
And it is important that the narrative is client-centered. So as mm -hmm. I always call it, outward-looking instead of inward-looking because and Flo also talks about that uh, uh, regularly is, is most consultancies because of this, it's not clear. So they are service-oriented, they are output-oriented. And then they say, we, 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 we do this, we have that, we, we do this. And so it's we, we, we show. It's about them and not about the client. And yeah. uh, like we just discussed, if you have a website like we, like we have been uh, talking about a few minutes ago, then that's an outward way of looking at uh, the, the expertise. So it's a client-centered way where you say, we know that you have this kind of prototypical problems and here are ideas yeah. about, and so mm -hmm. here's how we can yeah. go about and so on and so forth. It's an, it's an outward way of looking at uh, the, the, the expertise yeah and i think a good a good method to to try and do that to, to force that shift by the way just a, that's a prototypical tip um if you if you can formulate questions that start with are you struggling with x yeah i'm not saying that that leads to the perfect solution but that's also a helpful exercise to get the consulting the business colleagues out of the Silos. inside out view into the other right around to, to make a very specific example lots of consulting firms talk about how they help with digital transformation manufacturing and they have all these services. Uh, a better way of phrasing this would be to ask the client, are you struggling to deliver on the promise of a digital factory? Right? And then we can talk about where does it, why you've bought a bunch of technology that doesn't work together. Your project's going to work. You could immediately, you can start talking about the problems the client face, hopefully in words which they themselves would use. And then that, that gets you to where I think, Luke, you were saying we, we, we need to go. And then that, by the way, that makes for interesting um, content as well. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That the, the, actually, if you look at it from this chain of uh, audience definition, typical or prototypical problem, problem resolution of the audience, then your point of view about it, setting the context, and then creating your value proposition. So the the let's say the the problem resolution activities that you're doing, output. Um, or sorry, outcome driven, then it's actually easy to write about that and to, sh and to create content. And because people also ask me, what hundred, you have written 150 case studies, how the heck? So they don't understand. But that was because of the, the focus and of course the, the all day activity in the front line and being aware of the fact that your business development, your success of the consultancy is linked to sharing your expertise with clients who yeah. have been and gone through uh, similar activities to solve their prototypical problems. And so I, I always struggle a lot with consultants saying, I don't know what to write about. I, for me, it's almost like I, I don't, I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. And we've said this on the podcast before, right? Ash to say, the, the, and, and I think Luke, you said it when you were on your first episode here, the trick is to just take the advice you give in consulting, run it through some sort of edit editorial process. And then that's the content, right? Be like, oh, yeah. sorry, let me flip that. If you start with the actual client problems, you solve in your day, daily work, you write about those problems and then you write about how you solve them in your firm. Well, it shouldn't be too hard to find content, which you then can massage because that stuff should already exist. You've already created pitch presentations with arguments. You've already written consulting playbooks. I don't know. Case studies to your point, Luke, um, lots of consulting firms I know write sort of internal memoranda or project reports which never go anywhere right you could pick those and salvage like turn them into um you know uh, there's always uh, uh, approval stuff and so forth to take care of but the, the raw material usually exists within the consulting oh, practice and the day-to-day -day business yeah, right absolutely <clears throat> you even have like emails going uh, back and forward to, with your clients so what i'm doing yeah. uh, today in my work is also um anytime when i send <clears throat> so i've sent a mail to a client this morning so i immediately copy paste that mail and put that into my content folder because that's a let's say a mini a micro case study that i can use because a client asked the question so i answered the question and that's a micro um, like maybe linkedin post that i will use in the coming weeks uh as content to share because it's an interesting question from a reader or from a, in this case, from a client. But I'm always like focused on, switched on to spot opportunities of content. Yeah. 
for content. And I, and I think that's a perfect segue into the, the third section we had here, right? What types of systems would you have to build? I think on the highest level, that to me is just the message, is that the, the silos between the marketing team, the business team have to come down. Difficult, you know, who swings the hammer to bring them down. But I think the idea is that the, the insight into clients and their problems and the specific thinking that resides in the business, that resides in the experts, right? And they might help need a little help with turning it into content, publishing it regularly, right? M maybe enforce some discipline on themselves because I get it. The main challenge is those consultants, they have to do the work, right? And then write the link, but it's difficult to do. So, but these are the things marketing could help with, um, but that's a completely, I think, different model because typically right now, the, the way it's set up in most firms is the business does the business and then marketing does whatever. And this is not a joke. I've talked to many partners who do not even know what their marketing does by and large, other than run a couple of events. Whereas in reality, it should be very much the way like Luke just described. The expert is fully aware of the marketing needs and the marketing plays at the company, writes an email to a client and thinks, oh, that could be good content, you know? And then this, yeah. this process gets triggered and the marketing team provides the scale because that can be done, right? Luke, could, Luke you take your own email and copy it in your content folder. Someone else in that system you described, could then turn that into a LinkedIn post, do a bunch of graphics, but that doesn't have to be you, but the, the inside, the expertise does to have to come from the front lines. And I think that's how it's, that's yeah. how it's gotta be built going forward. Ash, and, sorry. Uh, if, you, if you're going to like talk about <clears throat> it, like uh, some high level, it is basically market need translated into audience emotion. Yeah. That's essentially how you drive the whole thing and market need comes in um, through the biz dev and sales teams because they are aware of the needs and the emotive the consultants work on it every day, right? Yeah, they have exactly. that stuff. Yeah. yeah. And the emotive hit is where the mark, you know, the marketing team can really play some good role, but they need to understand the market needs. And that's why the conversation needs to be then. There's a constant education required between two groups. Without that education, you, you kind of struggle because Marketing needs to understand how to sell and they yeah. need to understand sales and sales needs to understand what marketing can do. It's not that you need that alignment from the start. If you don't have that alignment, it'll, you'll just come into a practice and you'll find like um, a sales leader saying, I need a marketing person, I need a communication person, but not, not understanding what. And the marketing team will just, as you said, keep doing what they do of like events and collateral and emails without, and just give them a bunch of leads, which have no strategic focus. Yeah, and I think marketing can play a very important role. I, I in the previous podcast I talked about it. I never had any marketing support, so all those things like how do you do positioning uh, analysis, how yep. how do you sit together with the team and with all the people from the business uh, to to think about how will we design uh, our service offering. Uh, what, what what kind of design thinking are we doing here? Maybe, um, yeah, it's like value proposition design is extremely important, uh, but also how to build the nurture machine. What platforms can we use? Is there an email system that we can use to nurture our uh, audience and so on and so forth? So maybe also the... Uh, how do we design uh, the, the the most appropriate uh, case studies and so on. So, mm -hmm. so that can all be like a process and support and design thinking that marketing can help us with uh, because otherwise, yeah, we are... We, we're probably stuck into into day-to-day -day and, and marketing can help us kind of to level it up and to help yeah. us uh, create new way of working. And and I like, I like this perspective a lot. And I, you, you remind me of something or I, I'd like to shout out something because in mid-size and larger firms, this stuff sometimes already exists. Like mm -hmm. I, when I was working at Accenture, I gave a bunch of trainings to MDs about, I don't know, storytelling, or this, but that's the exact point. It's always like a bit of an extra and it's the entertainment that gets sprinkled upon a two-day Cal meeting at the, like client account leader meeting at the beginning of the year, right? So it's, it's a nice thing marketing also does 2% of the time, whereas in reality, it should be a huge and very strategic and very central part of the machine, right? Yeah. Educating the business, like Ash, like you said, um, going into having those conversations and then helping people understand the modern process, how it's run today. And to your point earlier, Luke, again, with the with the email, which I just love the practicality of that example, think about it. How, how often did you as a marketer go into a weekly, bi-weekly meeting with the practice and said, hey, 
guys, can you can we talk about the most interesting, uh, like concise advice in your email outbox from last week? Like, which emails did you send to? I don't know, resolve an escalation, answer a client question. Never ever did I have those conversations, but mm -hmm. they, they would be very worthwhile having, right? Yeah, to get absolutely. to to get yeah. to your content that way, as opposed to saying, okay, who can help me build some slides on Lola for the next event? Like the typical stuff that happens. And to drive that point home, and I've said this before. I once did an assessment of how often um, in the marketing practice, I, in, the, in the practice I work with, how often we used elements of client presentations on major wins, right? Um, so someone pitched the client, did an essential, an initial workshop and, so, and then won a big piece of business. How often did we use those presentations to build marketing content off of? The answer is never. The question mm. is why? Because This is obviously someone has prepared a workshop with some decks, and this is not all client-specific stuff that's in that presentation. There's general market research, there's high-level recommendations, all like as a goldmine of things. But the business builds it, does the one workshop. Maybe they reuse it later for business stuff. It never makes its way into marketing. That's such a huge inefficiency. Meanwhile, marketing is over here and builds a fancy conference presentation just for everyone. So, uh, anyway, so sorry, I'm going to stop myself. Yeah, yeah, I have to uh, let you know that we are almost at time. So I think uh, we should be opening up to questions. Sure. Yeah, that's that's all I have. So here's your opportunity. Thanks, Ash, to, to ask some questions and then maybe we, we wrap it up at the at the end of it. Yeah, if you can. All right. I have a question to Luke, which ties more back to the previous topic, but because yeah. you talked a lot about LinkedIn and websites, I worked like a year ago with a LinkedIn expert And she told me that websites are dead and only your LinkedIn profile is like much uh -huh. more important. So like when you post on LinkedIn, they only check out your profile and directly contact you. So how do you think about that? Or was it your experience as well? Well, first of all, they will never contact you directly unless they have been following you and maybe they got um, whatever feedback from the, the network that you can be the guy Uh, to solve the, the prototypical problem. So they will follow you over a longer period and that websites are dead are, is absolutely not the case uh, because um, it, I, I would say there are even like um, gurus right now in marketing saying that the website is the core starting point of everything you do because it's the content hub where you put all your expertise and it all starts from there. But it also like the hub for... Uh, like weekly talks that you're doing, Q&A sessions that you're organizing, webinars that you're doing, it's all there and uh, it's the starting place. And I think that Florian can maybe also witness because uh, we, we are following a few of those people uh, saying this, that yeah. website is the number one place um, uh, where your expertise demonstration is actually taking place. So I'd say um, if, if you're hearing that more often, I think that those people might be, um, might be wrong. <laughs> well, no, I, I completely not... agree. But it well, was... yeah. Let, let's say the first thing you do if you have a ROM is you Google something. So and the, depending on where you land, you <clears> then make your decision or you start doing more research. And uh, in like say 95% of the cases, you land on the website. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I think to the to the point. So I think the I'm always dubious when someone says, "Oh, you only need this," because like you said, yeah. there's all these statistics: 191 days, 30 touches. It always has to be multi-touch, multi-channel. Sorry, I know it's right. a lot of work, yeah. but that's how it happens. I'll, I'll I'll agree with that sense and so forth. That the initial awareness, like people reading your thoughts, right, reading your problem resolution ideas on LinkedIn, chances there are much higher uh, than on your website. Like the the blog as a major driver of initial interest, yeah. I would go there and say that is probably dead because I have yet to see a blog post that performs as well as LinkedIn posts over time. So for the awareness game, yeah, LinkedIn's right. The website is not that though. Its function has just changed. It becomes the archive and it becomes the conversion point because the way I see the buying journey happen is, yes, I see you on LinkedIn. I see a couple of posts, three, four, five. Uh, but eventually, like you, Luke said, I might be close, get closer to the idea to actually buy from you. So now I want to know who works on your team, what's the experience, what are maybe prices, blah, blah, blah. Where do I find that? Not on LinkedIn. So I search you, I go to the website. The other aspect, which I think is a bit underrated, um, is LinkedIn is only ever for today. If Luke posts something interesting today and I want to go back a week from now and find it, that's a, 
almost said yeah. that's a pain in the neck to do it so it's yeah. still so that's also why i want to be clear about blogs i don't say blogs are dead i say the function has changed the initial reading happens on linkedin that's where you get all the reach but the person who wants to come back dive deep really digest it it's good if you have a blog where they can easily find it again three to four weeks later because the linkedin post the, the feed is always updating so what i post this morning for for my audience probably gone tomorrow so it's, it's this idea of the outpost and the home base. And I think both are necessary and, and they're still very much viable. Yeah, so I always say the best business development consultant or expert is a multi-platform educator. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like you have to see LinkedIn as your entry point and uh, your website is what gives you the authority. And like Flo was saying, it is a database essentially, but in a much prettier way. And also, I think it, it's um, and it's and then, then I'll close. But it's also interesting for for mid-sized or larger firms. If I if I read some expert and I go to a website, what the website has is the opportunity to show the client the breadth of services. And look, I know we don't want to go too much services, but it's it's interesting. In a blog, I can see everything Luke has written about. Right, that's the I can see a portfolio. I can see a body of work. I can see maybe some evolution of thought. Blah blah. It's all much more substantial than the fleety, fleety LinkedIn. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. So by interesting the way, there's nothing wrong but, with services, but it's uh, it can never be the starting point. And that's what yeah, that's uh, is done wrong is that it's yeah. a starting point. So it should be a means to an end and not the, the end. Yeah. Marlene, but, is um, that, uh, you're answering your question because you asked me, sorry. Yes, no, <laughs> yeah. thank you. It was uh, answered beautifully. So, so multi-platform, and, and I, I, I agree with what Flo said. It was very good. Thank you. And, and full transparency, just for my own, I, I have yet to hit a week where my website has as much traffic for the entire week than my LinkedIn posts on a Monday. <laughs> it's sad. We're getting there. But it's um, that the social media stuff is just powerful, um, even if people don't click through or like, which they often don't, right? That's, that's another element. It's, they read it on LinkedIn. They never click through. So yeah, it's good to be in the channel. There's no doubt about it. But the website dead? No, I don't see it. Any other right. questions? Sorry. Ah, yes, I have a question. Oh, hello. Hi. Um, well, um, to, 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 to me, I, I run a small um, recruitment consultancy which was focused on the professional services or the mm -hmm. consulting industry. And um, I would like to know um, which channels, can you tell me the three major, or let's say five major channels I should use to do proper marketing, to 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 um, to engage with my uh, leads and to engage with my prospects to make sure mm. that they have valuable touch points. So, can you can you mention three major um, channels? Thank you. Just just uh, sorry, I'm gonna go first. Uh, for, for me, my answer would be just. Just LinkedIn. You don't need three. You should. You probably don't need five even to start. I know Luke said multi-platform, but the reality yeah, but is, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're a small, for me if you're a smaller email, firm, for instance. Yeah. True. Yeah. But the the one. So email is in there, right? He said three. Luke. So let's see. I would go LinkedIn first and hard. Why? Because if the the audience that pays you, um, Binyam, is is other other recruiting firms, the recruiters, the the HR people, right? And they have to be on LinkedIn. It's almost like a job requirement because that's where they that's their sure. that's their hunting ground, right? So that's the easiest yeah. thing. Um, email, right? For 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 the nurture and the follow up, and then okay. um, just because and Ash and Luke can disagree, but because this is a podcast, I would I would also maybe think about doing a podcast, um, not so much from the um, from the maybe from the HR perspective. But in your, your, your business model is like a two-sided marketplace, which that's that's interesting. If you did a podcast around, and, and I have no idea about this, about how do I get into a consulting firm or how do I get out of it? Or did you know the, the career angle for the for the for the talent for the for the for the people side you are okay. helping? Mm -hmm. um, that's valuable in two ways. A, it gives you a pipeline into the talent market, and B, if you have the podcast in your area. That is that is among the top ones for people who want to work in consulting and have a career there. That mm -hmm. makes you want a very interesting <laughs> recruiting okay. agent for okay. a consulting firm because you already have the audience thereafter. So these are my three three takes. So Hello, I, I would like to add uh, Reddit as well and the uh, consulting because there's always plenty of people asking yeah, about jobs yeah. 
they, they ask about jobs they ask about like salary rates they look at like opportunities there are plenty of people literally oh, I love that. All, yeah. all these questions there reddit is a key thing and the other area is glassdoor these are two areas where you will find the talent willing to engage because they're looking yeah. Oh my God. That's such a good addition. In fact, uh, Benjamin, um, lots of ideas for this podcast come from me or Ash browsing the, on Reddit, there are subreddits. These are like threads in the forum. And there okay. is one that is just Reddit slash R slash consulting. And there is people complaining about their jobs, asking about, was this a good raise or a shitty one? Like there's a, you can, to, to Luke's earlier point, understanding the target audience, and the pain points, you can get all that there written out for you in, in, by consultants who need career advice and or all that stuff. So that's that's a brilliant one, Ash. Very okay. good. Great, thanks. Good. Not, nothing are, to add. We are over time though, Flo. <laughs> all right. So thanks everybody uh, for those of you who are still here for, for joining this first live session. Uh, I had fun, so we should definitely do some more of those. Thank you, Luke, for joining us for this. And because this will be a podcast recording, before we close, I'll just ask if people want to continue the conversation, find more about your firm or the, all those posts by you we just mentioned, where should they go? Yeah, I think you will add it to the, the show notes, I guess. But um, yeah, you've seen my name here, uh, Luke Smyers. Um, so I'll switch off my camera and you can, I think, see it. See my name. So that's my name. Um, so you can follow me on either on LinkedIn. Um, I'm posting on a daily basis, almost yeah, five six times a week. Um, and uh, my website is thevisibleauthority.com. You can go there too with my blog and subscribe for my newsletter, which is case and reader question based. All right. Thanks very much. So. Uh, thanks again to the audience. Thanks, Luke. Uh, thanks, Ash. I'm going to stop the recording here. Have a nice rest of the Friday and eventually a uh, happy weekend. Thanks for listening to Unbillable Hours. If you want more, tune in next week. You know where to find us. 